0: Round of applause wherever you are for bicep. Nice to see them uh, here in and the right round of
1: applause for Joe as well.
0: <laughs> in your beautiful magenta studio. Um, so, I mean, you know, first question that is impossible to answer anyway in these, uh, as they constantly say, unprecedented
1: times. How are you? Uh, yeah, on a medium day. There's good days, bad days, medium days. Now we're good. We're good. We're pretty That's good. good. It's like we're. The final stretch
2: to release, yeah. and we're just really happy to kind of actually have it out there. So yeah. it's been all kind of work for the last couple of months behind the scenes to try and get it ready. It's been actually quite
1: a lot of work. We thought it was going to be a bit more chilled out, but um, yeah, yeah, it wasn't a year off at all <laughs> last year. Um, I mean, in many ways, we're blessed that we're so busy because obviously it's quite, it's, it's, it could be, a, it's a tricky time um for a lot of people, especially in music. So I think um this has come for us as a good time. We've been on the streams were a lot of work last year, which kept us very busy.
0: It's, I mean, it's been an interesting thing that I've, I've found for a, a lot of musicians um, this kind of tension between, um, you know, obviously the, the fear and uncertainty, but also um, the chance to kind of stop and take stock that happened yeah, totally. during the last year, um, which must have been interesting because this is like a pivotal time for you. You must be kind of aware of this is like a milestone, <laughs> a step up
1: yeah. in your career. Yeah, it's 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 been it's been a re- it's it's weird because we took a lot of 2019 off. We finished tour the last live tour um in January, and we took most of 2019 off to, to write the album. And so we'd really finished the writing phase, and we're just about to start tour in March, and then we we're off again for another year. But then in many respects, again, we were we were strangely the streams and 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 rethinking everything for that took up quite a lot of time, and having to rewrite the live show each time we did a new stream because we've got another one coming up in February. That we've been working on. So sort of, it's been strangely quite, quite, quite full on, and busy. Uh, I, I I
0: remember speaking to you like, I mean, probably f- five five or six years ago now, and and being struck by how disciplined you were about your work processes. Like, you, I think you said you basically toured ten months a year and took two months to just like. Have studio time. I mean, um, have you always been fairly structured and, and and planned ahead in things? Yeah, yeah. I think we've always been quite structured. We always take January off to kind of work in the studio.
2: Um, so when we're touring, we always got we always have that time in there to kind of catch up and do edits, just be just be creative again, not not be restricted to any kind of de- um, like deadlines or anything. But at the same time, as every single day, we kind of try and come down to the studio, even if it's we're just working on like testing out a new synth or just like um working on artwork you know like um doing emails it's just we're always quite structured
1: to kind of get down the studio and do a little bit of work i think because there's two of us it's it's a lot harder to be sort of fluid like fluid i think the structure really makes it a lot easier for both of us to have normal lives outside of music because if we kind of decided one of us wants to come in late one of us wants to come in early to the studio or you know take a take a week off here it, it can just you know weeks can turn into months can turn into years so we just try and keep a bit of a structure going i mean it's it's it's, it's good it means that we can actually focus when we're in the studio we're like
2: full 100 we, percent we're we full full work mode and then once we switch off at like five o'clock we'll go yeah. home and we can and um, not answer emails and not think about music so much and then the next day it's a new day Start it's not fresh it means that we're always fresh ideas every day if we're working on music yeah. or we're an album cycle we're constantly, when we go home, we think about just little ideas rather than being in the studio and really working on stuff.
0: So given all that, did you, you know, because you'd set aside time and you were like, right, it's album time now. um, Was there a kind of any grand concept about what it was going to be, where it fits, what it meant, what it represented
1: about you? We've worked that out better once we'd finished. But we knew, we set a couple of... Uh, it, for us, because we had been on tour for two years, it was really important to have a, a period of experimentation again, you know? Like, we needed to go in and use the studio as musicians, not writing an album, just come in and do it, you know? And also kind of informed from being on live tour for two years, yeah. so that, like p- picking up the little tricks
2: and stuff we did on the yeah. live tour and I trying to implement that in the yeah. music or experiment in ways that
1: we could implement it into the music. And and and, and but I think we, we had some framework from the very beginning that we we wanted to kind of stick to and that was we kind of felt with the first album we'd sat it it wasn't a club album but it wasn't a home listening album it was a bit caught in the middle i think stuff like aura was mixed for club but then we had tracks like air that were kind of mixed for home listening and we didn't we I, for us we hadn't really played the strengths of either and we're, we're obviously very proud of the first album but i think from like an artistic point of view It made it harder for some tracks to be to to develop into dance floor tunes or think about a live show because we would not really written them, like considered the live tour as well. So with this with this um, album, one of the early parts of the writing process was to really make sure firstly every track that we were going to finish was something that we could perform both as a live track. And, and, and with that idea we also wanted to make sure it was something we could make a home listening track so we wanted to almost approach it with this idea that each song would have two versions or at least be developed over the course of a year from the album version into the live show version and with that could be completely different drums or changing the energy of the track but we wanted to really have this more fluid approach to the music and with that we'll, once we kind of decided that was our, our, our goal it gave us a lot more freedom to maybe be Explore the album with not having to try and cover the club aspect with the with the with the home listening versions. Do you know what I mean? And I think that from the beginning gave us a lot of freedom. It instantly, kind of allowed us to experiment with like sonics and playing the reverbs a lot more and thinking about the kind of overall mixes. Yeah, I think totally like, differently. With, you know, with the live show, you gotta definitely mix
2: it for like a, a live audience in the club environment and it's a very different mix to how you'd want to hear it in your headphones if you want it loud, if you want it punchy and they're not like things we took into consideration when we started writing the first album but we found we struggled to kind of get all the tracks to balance with each other and we spent a lot of of time just learning how to mix and because we were pretty much doing everything ourselves and you just it's its like a, a long learning process and even during this album even to the last day before we sent in the final mixes for master and we're learning little things little tricks to kind of get them to balance and sound better and you're, you can constantly tweak for hours and hours but um having at least some sort of restrictions and thinking about yeah. not not ha- this doesn't have to be the final club version it made it made, made it a lot easier
0: to kind of finish off did it did it make you stop and think about uh, where you've come from when you were kind of getting that balance between club and live show and home listening um did you did you ever kind of get moments of vertigo of like wow we've come this far because like you guys are big yeah um, we, like we, we kind of keep like like i said
2: we keep the routine we've still got our friends from home and we just it, we're quite grounded in that sense that we just keep it, it like we've got like a small network so we never really like look
0: in. we never think of it in that respect yeah Yeah, i mean when when you think about the size of shows you do you know when when you're suddenly facing dot number of tens of thousands of people you know do you get this kind of like oh okay this is well we try not to look up from Uh, the yeah (laughs) trying to read out
1: that's why we're facing each other and play live (laughs) no the um i think i mean for sure it got to the stage where we definitely realized that it was going to be very hard to to to, to make music that would work at home and for those sort of shows that was that that and 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 stuff that was going to artistically represent what we want to do in our heads with and, and that was definitely that was part of the problem we not yeah, a problem but we, but we, we def- almost had to redesign the first album to work for the bigger crowds yeah like there's there's even like it wasn't to-
2: enough yeah, even the tunes that were caught in between halfway, like even Aura, which would say were one of the biggest tunes in the first album, we still had to even beef that up a little bit more for the live show. So it was that was informing the decisions that we um, did for the second album. But like Matt said earlier, it's like we didn't have that restriction in a sense that the album version was always going to be slightly different than the one we we're going to play out or what that was envisioned for the club. So it gave us freedom and it means that we can keep building on the, the idea for the bigger
0: shows. And make make the track bigger if we need to. Um, did I mean, what's it been like this last year? I mean, obviously you you, you had the streams, and so you had you know um, nuts and bolts stuff to occupy your minds. But what's it been like having this album ready and the world change around it, and kind of thinking, uh, you know, about the reception and what that might be.
1: There was a, there was a for sure. A sense of free fall from March to the summer where not only was music collapsing in in a sense of uh, immediately around us in terms of what we planned for that year but also with the the industry as well and obviously then with the greater obviously more importantly with COVID itself across the world there was that sort of like sense of terror and dread that that, kind of did dominate the first you know half of the year and then we got to the summer and I think we kind of Readjusted our expectations quite significantly to the point where we knew we wouldn't be doing anything to at least summer 2021. I think at that stage, when you kind of have fully accepted, right, this is actually huge. This has taken over everything that we thought about for the last couple of years. There was obviously a, a sense of being able to reevaluate and move forward with kind of thinking about the streams and stuff. Um, I mean, it's been very tough, but, yeah, it's- it's, but I, I think we've we've really wanted to use it. The time wisely, you know, like we've tried to be, we've been in the studio. Apart from full lockdowns, and we and we couldn't meet up. Um, there's been very, uh it's been yeah, it's been tough, but it's been I suppose at the same time, we always complained about not getting a chance to maybe refine stuff. That like when we first, when we finished the first album, we we're pretty much on tour straight away, and it was, you really were stitching together the live show on on Tuesday mornings and then leaving on Wednesday, and it was constantly, you know, there was times that we were up on stage in sound check, adjusting files and, and changing MIDI clips and 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 really it was very like it was it was good to work under that pressure, but it was definitely a sense of kind of really learning on the job. Yeah. So I think this year's been kind of good to, last year, sorry, it was good to have a chance to really refine things a little more, test things out. We we changed quite a lot of equipment to the live show and, and and we're able to take time and experiment a bit more. And even with this
2: um, the streams have been like our creative outlet really. So we've tried to like actually pour in as much as we can, because we know the, the restrictions and um how the the actual live streams and how they work. But um, we really wanted to recreate like what we do in a club to a certain degree, um in terms of experience. And we just been exploring every single way possible with um um Zach, the guy who does our visuals, um and just trying to incorporate that as much as we can and make it as live as possible. If that's if you know it's that's that's basically what we've focused all our creative energy into this year. And that's taken a lot because without the crowd there and without reactions and without two years of being on the road to refine the live show, it's really hard to present it as an idea, especially yeah. this if we're talking the whole plan was to kind of have these different versions be more clubby, but the first time we presented essentially is a live stream to the whole world. So that's been like a lot of pressure in terms of trying to get it right because we'd just we'd normally just phase in one track a month possibly and try and get them working and then also refine them over the year so yeah it's been quite challenging in that respect so we set ourselves like some uh, hard challenges and it's been quite good to overcome them because i'm I'm very happy with how the second live ones
0: went and how it's going to progress in future has it been hearing your music on the radio because I mean, you know i have got young kids so we have radio 1 on quite a lot you know doing the school runs and and just just hearing hearing bicep and you know not it's not a pop tune but like hearing hearing greg james and um uh, you know the radio 1 daytime dj's waxing lyrical
1: about it no less you know i mean we're like massively humbled by that and and, and also like for, for us, radio has been a kind of lifeline for us Um, the past year, because apart from the streams, it's been one of the main ways that we've been able to actually access people. And obviously we haven't been really fully in control of that. So the fact that we've had a lot of support from Radio 1 and Radio 6 and, and all the other radio stations has been just been amazing. Like, I mean... It's been a godsend, even for even listening. I've got way more into just getting on
2: Radio Six, just always in the background. And I feel like with COVID and a lot of people isolating, it seems it serves as like a another person to talk to or another voice in the room. Yeah. And even today, I had on Radio Six and Mariana Hobbs had it on when I was like cooking my breakfast, and I, it was just an eerie thing where the album's yeah. out this week and she puts on a tune, and you just don't expect yeah. it, and still I still get excited every yeah. time I hear it. And like my friends text to me and stuff it's like it's a different thing than being in a club on stage performing it's like yeah. a, but that's what you do
1: the albums for and that's why that's that's the, the gratification we get from the process and i have to say kudos to like um ninja and our management as well for the process of the writing last year we obviously come from a club background and we don't we didn't develop our kind of ears to think with radio really in mind, we came from 10 years of sort of DJing um, into writing an album, as opposed to um, from another direction. So th- they really did help in the A&RM process. And, and and when we were just discussing demos, you know, really, th- they had an ear to say, you know, th- making us consider not radio so much, but certainly made us really think about the music with broader appeal. And that's something that we'd never, we could never have known how reliant we would have been on radio coming into, you know, last year. But really, um, it's, it's 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 been it's been as I say it's been like a lifeline to kind of get to be able to stay, um, to be able to still feel you've kind of you know to get music continually out there when we when we haven't been in charge to do it ourselves. It's, it's even been pushing us to get the idea that we'd normally make over eight
2: minutes and chuck it into three minutes, but still feel coherent. It's like that's yeah. really challenging. Like that, that was
1: that's been a hard thing to sort of learn you know to kind of condense well i think it makes you think about your ideas more clearly you know like all our track our tracks began i think our one of our first ever releases was called 313 and i think it clocks in at 11 minutes 36 is something like that okay (laughs) nothing nothing changes
2: in the first i I put it on other day and like the first three minutes nothing happens i'm like shit, we got away that one it's like being too there's being deep and there's just being too deep
0: yeah do you think the radio thing and streams are, are changing the sense of um your relationship to the people that listen to your music and sense of community within dance music generally i mean um sorry i'm just scrolling through this on the on the, on the questions michelle here says my six-year-old son jimmy loves you guys because of uh, radio six music has has yeah, kind of uh, got him obsessed and I, I've i've dis- just you know i've heard so many people talking like that about their families listening to music together and um you know my wife does the big fish little fish family raves and they do a yeah. kitchen rave on a sunday um and and you find finding these new kind of community things forming around live streams yeah. and radio and stuff that weren't there before um, yeah, it's just, it's just like open our eyes even more to that sort of thing. It's
2: like you do realize there's a big family and six music that might not experience us normally in a club. Yeah. And even when we do mixes and put them up there, you get lots of tweets from people that we'd never seen. We've we obviously got like a fan base that would contact us all the time on Twitter, but these are new people. And it's the same even when we do live show or that we did the first live stream. People sharing videos and it's something I never expected to be honest. Yeah. And it's just it's kind of grown so.
1: Um naturally I think. I mean it's definitely I think it's there's 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 definitely Something rewarding, like we, like we would get messages sometimes from people, you know, 50s, 60s. I think we've had a few people in our 70s send us messages, and it's just like, you, you, know, I mean? uh, you know, my dad's got friends who've messaged him, and it's like, wow, this is pretty cool. I was yeah, like, yeah. like,
2: da- like give my dad's friend some of our tracks, and he was playing about the wedding, and all the kids were coming up to him, like, how do you know these tunes? And I've given him like um, white labels and stuff, and he was playing them about the wedding, and they're just like blowing their mind.
1: It's like, my,
2: obviously, like our parents are really proud and stuff, and they're always talking about. About it their friends but then you start seeing their kids getting into it as well coming to the yeah. gigs and it's it goes like full circle
0: um can we talk about a bit about um your early influences as kids i mean um there's a couple of people in the questions so um some tim's asked uh, who your early electronic music influences and uh mark as a fellow northern irishman is asking you know about your early club influences i know that from early on you weren't just listening to the sort of club music at the time you were you were you and your friends were always swapping like older yeah. tunes as well is that right
2: yeah i mean yeah. it kind of represents like the blog like we've yeah. co- it would be anything goes it'd be a good hip-hop tune be a good rock tune like our, a lot of our friends are into like heavy metal and stuff it could be a metal tune or it could be like intense techno it was never really a genre specifically yeah, yeah. It was it's more of, feeling you yeah. know what i mean yeah. like
1: like and, and in the same way like a tallow disco 80s music like they could, everyone loves, you know, like it's really funny. I had like vivid memories of being 17 and like three or four of my friends going nuts about like the reverb on an 80s snare, you know, it's like things like that where like, like people would pick up on that and like they're into nine inch nails. I was into like a lot of metal and kind of, I was used to BMX a lot. So like I was into metal and, and, uh, electro- only going into electronic music quite later, when I say later on, like 16 or 17, really, um, before that I didn't really listen to any at all. So, um, we quite... And my, my, my household is very musical. It's like always had, you know, everything from like Enya and Mary Black playing all day to, you know, kind of the Clannard. And yeah, we see the same. Like my parents were just into like Rory Gallagher and
2: like classic Irish rock. And it's, and you, you know, a like lot thin, of Irish thin, music. Thin Lizzy and stuff. I think there's like a, a sense in Ireland that there's so, so much support to their own acts that you hear all the time on the radio, yeah. and the radio's full up with them. So yeah, a lot of that sort of stuff. But then it was the classics as well. It was like, tool nirvana and things like that you know like you'd listen to a bit everything i think we were just a bit like i'd listen to everything and just good music would come
0: through really yeah i I remember you telling me some time ago about i can't i can't remember one of your garages or one of your friends garages yeah yeah yeah. it's called the garage (laughs) (laughs) tell us a bit about that because that sounds like a
1: kind of crucial crucible for for, for we uh we would go out to Shine, which was a big techno club in Belfast when we were about 16, 17. Um, and uh, it, we we all started kind of going 1617 for a couple of years before we went to university. And uh, before we before we would go out to Shine, we would do a three hours meetup um at this garage. And this is again no no Spotify, no streaming youtube and no music on it youtube i mean youtube was nothing at that yeah. stage it, certainly you might have had funny camera phone uh, cat videos dave, dave Chappelle, that was it <laughs> yeah yeah it was like cat videos of dave Chappelle. so um music was still very much like there was the blog culture was sort of bubbling away and it was kind of still a lot of radio or and um and dinner wasn't fast printing to make it yeah like... we would just um you know everyone would arrive with um their own c- cds and we would just, we you know, people would be arguing and arguing to get their selection of, you know, whatever tracks they'd, um, you know, burn their CD that week. And uh, it was definitely a very, we we're very lucky to have a very a group of mates with very eclectic tastes. And it would always be this sort of competitive culture of like selections and finding out know, who'd find this and oh I got this. And that was just about the period when we started to get into electronic music. We kind of, Aphex Twin, Lauren Garnier, stuff like that, Dave Clark. And, uh, was when we were kind of also we would get into a bit of disco and a tallow and stuff and also then at shine was a lot of hard techno but we were kind of the whole idea of the garage before was more like not club music it was more sort of oddball left field stuff um and that was really the inspiration for our blog we both left belfast at 18 to go to university and it was at that stage that we kind of wanted to continue that feeling of sort of sharing between each other and that the blog really came out of wanting to maintain that idea of having some sort of collection or an idea of putting you know creating your own playlists and and creating having somewhere to put music you find and kind of chronicle it yeah i think it's sharing is a
2: massive important part of what we do it's but i like the feeling of letting people hear it and then you know and inc- mm-hmm. um, like kind of encouraging them to seek out new, that music for themselves or get delve in deep, deeper to it and it's even it's honestly it hasn't even changed it's like my friends who are our friends who go to the garage or who went to the garage we're still in contact with them pretty much daily, yeah. and if I find an album, I'll send it to them. And if they don't reply back to me, I'll get I'll be a wee bit like, <laughs> yeah, <be> like
0: oh.
2: <laughs> you know, like it, it stings a bit still. Yeah, st- yeah, yeah. It's like I still want that approval. Yeah, yeah. It's like and that that matters more. But it still happens.
1: It's like we still have arguments about stuff. And- we um the same crew, uh, on New Year's Eve this year. Obviously, none of us can meet up. We we're all in separate houses. We all bought tickets to the optimal New Year's Eve stream. And everybody was in a WhatsApp group critiquing the tunes for every mix the whole way through, all getting hammered, just going, oh, my God, look at this, and, like, whoa. So it's like we, had, we definitely were very blessed to have, like, a really good group of mates who are very Nerdy. deep, <laughs> deeply into their music, you know?
0: I mean, um, you know, Optimo straight away, you know, brings, brings us to your college days and, and yeah. another city with a particularly tight and nerdy but not in a nerdy way, music community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's hedonism and nerdiness kind of yeah. mesh. Rocket gigs. Those, yeah. <laughs> those sort of places. Um, I mean, is there, I often think there's something about, um, you know, cities smaller than London, at least, um, whether it's Manchester, Glasgow, Belfast, Bristol, whatever that kind of encourage that because people yeah. are a little bit more in each other's pockets and yeah. you actually run into people in the street or in the record shop or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, what was, what was Glasgow like?
2: Well, I, I went to University of Manchester and Matt went to Newcastle. But we were up at Optimo a lot. Yeah, I would say the common ground was, as much as Manchester had, it didn't have Optimo on Sundays. And it was like, it was definitely a common ground with all our friends from all over University. It gave us an excuse
1: especially the optim- the special optimal melodiities a lot of our friends went to Glasgow uni as well we yeah. had a big base there um like hammer went there like- the, the main three cities was Manchester Newcastle and uh Glasgow and Newcastle was pretty redundant at the time music wise it was just I mean it was, was it was more it was a lot more studenty and less sort of music nerdy so really a lot of our weekends were spent either in Manchester down at the original Sankeys or up in um uh optimo in glasgow
2: I and mean, even within manchester as big as it was at the time there wasn't a warehouse
1: project like sankey's was it was uh, like a more minimal techno yeah, it's like glasgow was definitely that sort of i mean optimo was school where you were schooled when you went to optimo you know hearing all these styles styles blended together and hearing you know kind of dolly parton mixed to hard techno like actually you, you would mix in you know was just like wow this is like yeah. really opened your eyes to the possibilities
0: um I'm, so I'm just I'm I'm just scrolling through the questions here. Um I played some of your stuff, your guy's stuff to my uncle at Christmas. He's from the Chemical Brothers. <laughs> 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 and likened some of your py- py- this is, sorry, this is related to um something I was gonna get onto with this, and likens your pioneering style to theirs in the 90s. Um because, you know, as you were kind of starting the blog and sharing stuff, um, you would share disco, but also things like Prog House, which were yeah. like not, not considered cool at the time. Um, yeah. You know, you were pick, picking and choosing from all over the place. Um, but, you know, classic nineties euphoria uh, always seems to have been, had a place in your sound. And on this album more than ever, you know, it's like, it's, for me, it's like Future Sound of London is, is kind of swooping through it. And there's a bit of orbital and there's a bit of, you know, quite a few of the 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 acts that I grew up on um you know is is there a specific part of your brains or your creative process that that thinks in a 90s way
2: I think there was such it was such a fruitful time and even some of my first memories were um recording the prodigy off the radio on the on the cassette tape, and even those certain sounds, rave sounds stabs like jungle breaks like the quintessential dark like growing up and even when we discovered techno, it was very much that old school, like sampley, but like the 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 synthesizers and the drum machines never really changed. Yeah. So like the, the eight hundred eight nine hundred nine and you know like Juno sounds have always been like core to what we liked and what we grew up with. And it's, it's kind of we've progressed definitely in the studio and experimented with other stuff, but like there is definitely that backbone of stuff
1: that got us in it in the first place, which we still love. I think um like I mean we. We've been trying to work We we're, we're try trying to try to work out like because they're obviously we, we know like having to like evaluate or, or look at the music we write. We sort of sometimes because it's an instrumental and there's two of us in the studio, we don't sit down and say like we never sit down and say, let's make something in a particular style. We jam for hours and usually it just develops quietly over eight or nine hours and over weeks and months. And there's not really a huge amount of sort of um, we don't. Don't like use like reference tracks. So we yeah we we actually
2: kind of think of like remember that track. We don't even know the name of it, but like the idea of an a a
1: track or a vibe is more important in terms of like the the motion of it rather than the. But I think it's 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 hard to know if like the like the licensing laws. And this is feels like a bit of a tangent, but I think it's more of the Irish side of side of us that like euphoria side, than that then and what we've kind of worked out is that in northern ireland the licensing laws um everywhere shuts at 3 a.m so you've basically got between 11 p.m and 3 a.m to get a full club night in so we had always this thing that i'm anytime as we got older people came back to DJ our friends with DJ we'd, we'd host nights there and they'd be like oh I'm on from like 11 to 12 like what should I play and I'm like mate there's no such thing as a warm-up in Northern Ireland you go in and that's it like second tune you get one track at the start of your set the warm-up then you're in and I think maybe it's that sense of urgency and immediacy and, and also like that like energy that like you have this small space of time to kind of go in that sort of just stuck with us you know our earliest clubbing memories were very full on and it's hard to
2: say it's like i definitely say when we're making music and when we perform it live it's definitely about harnessing energy and not wasting you build up stuff and harness it in the right way and it's definitely just what we've learned over time especially making music and when you're creating stories but also thinking about structure in terms of tracks it's not just about like one drop it's about like is this drop going to be bigger or how can i make the second drop bigger? But within without making it sound like a drop, it's all these little things of just like harnessing balls of energy and moving it around. And I think a lot of early dance tracks had lots of um like optimism and like yeah, just like lots of energy. You could feel it in like people's productions. It yeah, was yeah, yeah. it was like fresh, it was new. Anything goes, it was like the weirdest noises. Yeah, let's chuck that in there. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to get back to that. And I would definitely try and keep that naive approach
0: to when we start making demos because it
2: needs to be fun essentially yeah.
0: and and you make a lot i mean you are saying you kind of jam things out i mean richard on the chat was asking how many tracks do you um do you make and then filter out for a, for an album like this and i think I a lot. yeah
1: it was about 150 for this one but that was the final folder but then yeah there'd be six six or seven versions per of some tracks and some are a 15 second demo like a 15 second clip others are just a drum beat with a cool reverb it's like 150 demos is sort of the biggest thing but but also I, i'd say we did we didn't record in full
2: like lots of tracks lots yeah of, yeah it like, it's like sometimes we'll jam for ages just to work out a drum machine but then at the same time as we won't record it so yeah like sometimes we know a demo is not worth even recording, but yeah, one hundred and fifty was like the base level for this yeah. one going into this
0: one um how how did you start? I mean, what what came
1: first? the Djing or the production Djing production came production came as a necessary element of Djing. like we didn't study music at school. and it's really happened very gradually. like we began with the blog. It became. One of those things we had a lot of tallow disco that we were um, listening to. And like a- anybody who collects a tallow knows that, like, often you buy a record and there's 20 seconds of amazingness followed by two minutes of the worst folk you've ever heard. And then there's the best drums you've ever heard followed by another two minutes of the worst. And it was just through that. And obviously, that period of about 2005, 2006, where the whole disco edit culture was kind of quite big and the blog house stuff. So we just started doing simple disco edits and we kind of got an ear for, a lot of stuff we were um, cutting up and editing was these amazing old eighties synths and this quite cheap lo-fi production, and then we got into using Ableton a bit, and then when you start using Ableton, especially back then, the soft synths and the, their drum so machines—they're they're awful yeah. as shit, and you know the reverbs are t- tinny, and and you're like, whoa, these old th- these old soundtracks sound way better. It's so and at that stage, we didn't really know why. The stuff we were cutting up started so much better so that slowly got to the stage where we're making like house music and trying to use quite a lot of samples but still make the arrangements a bit more unique but then eventually you kind of just get wrapped in more and more you're like i want to have that synth i want a 909 and then when you get one it just becomes a wormhole it becomes addictive then you start learning piano and then you know it just it was a very it's very gradual like we didn't really i don't think we were ever really particularly 2015 felt like the first time that we were starting to kind of get on top of it and yeah. we've been releasing for like four or four years by that stage yeah i think with production as well it's like we kind of dedicate pretty
2: much all our life to like coming in the studio and working that way or like working life so it's for me and matt not to kind of know any kind of piano or dedicated to like actually producing it's like we need to be sat in the studio and work together and when one you know like we, we both can understand piano so Whilst well, when we produce now, it's quite easy to kind of write in the sense of if you were just writing normally, it was it's like it's very easy to kind of just pick a key and just jam for hours rather than just doing random stuff which we were doing probably previously or yeah. sitting, moving the blocks around the screen hoping for like some gold and it when you're not when you don't know what you're doing it becomes frustrating yeah. and it's like it's not it's it's not as fun whereas when you understand it a bit you can deconstruct it then it's yeah. like being able to paint and then just be able to kind of be abstract afterwards.
0: I mean, on the on those early releases and on the you know when when you, when you started the label, I mean, it really felt like you were um, you know not in a pejorative way, but you were another underground act with a, very much a dance label, and yeah. you were putting out fairly thulie sort of tracks. You know they were deep house, funky, whatever. You know it was it was clear that they were tracks for DJs. I don't think there was any sense um, from that early stuff that. You know, this anthemic huge shows bicep was was yeah. far down the road. I yeah, mean, was there any sense for you that there was that it was? Well, I think at the time it was definitely like a born out of the blog and the kind
2: of do everything for yourself culture. Like we kind of both both me and Matt had like full time jobs in design. And when you're working for someone else and your ideas are going into some other input and maybe not formulate in the same way, like they get they get distorted and changed a lot. they're like blog became a place where we could just do whatever we wanted and from that we were like
1: we can actually produce some records here we can do the artwork we can do this but we are learning in public like i think most people would have held off 2015 before they released i think we got stuff out quite quite not prematurely i think it was a good thing because it really let us it gave us a, a want to do better do you know what i mean and i think also we couldn't like the, the really when we were doing a lot of that like 90s house stuff we just didn't have any money to afford any synths and we just that was the closest we could get to a sound that we liked which was probably more analog leaning like a bit more lo-fi anything we made on a computer we just didn't really like how it sounded and then eventually when we were able to start getting synths it gave us a lot more freedom like I remember we first got a Juno we were like oh my god we can now play chords we can do arps we can do and then we got an SH-101 and it was like we can do bass like I remember we were like we need something for bass And when we got something, it was like, that was the beginning of like, okay, we actually have freedom now, you know. And also even turning on the 909 for the first time and you realize the hats don't even line up. And
2: that's what gives it this kind of class, like jangle, like rattle. And, you know, when you're sitting on a computer moving blocks around trying to recreate that rattle from listening to old records, it's just not the same. And it also takes hours and hours, whereas you just turn that on, boom.
0: (laughs) Um, on, on the, it, during this kind of period of of growing and and you know finding your feet and finding your sound, I mean you you say that people go full on in in Belfast and you can say the same of of Glasgow as well because similar licensing laws and similar intensity, um, but actually that can mean quite what well, quite deep house music it can you know quite deep and funky it doesn't mean like bang bang noisy noisy
1: deep house was 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 music for like a bar in belfast you couldn't it, like like it was hard 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 techno like what okay. dave clark uh like going to see christian smith was seen like soft a soft night and anything like um any sort of electro nights were seen as like a, like a, a night that was soft like it was very okay. and and deep house was bar. Like there was the we in in shine. There was like four rooms, but um the anything that was housey was seen as the bar. Like the only house acts like um fish go deep and all the kind of, you know um. Terrence Parker and stuff were always in the bar, and it was just ripping hard techno in the main room. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, I, think,
2: I, I, th- I think I think it's definitely our experience of growing up yeah, there, and also the time. Things and have the, changed the, since, you know. The, the different clubs, like the, there obviously is deep scenes, and like a lot of the the guys who are playing this house music, like the likes of Timmy Stewart and. Um, John MacGyver these guys that we grew up with as well these guys were digging super deep had all knew every old Detroit record and you know there is deep scenes within that but what I would say is the predominant um, mood and everyone was in these main rooms and chanting or like dancing along to like Green Velvet La La Land is a very different thing which I wouldn't particularly call deep <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah exactly. for us for us the, the the flip side was really moving to London then like we got the the, the complete education like, like from another a totally different spectrum, which is when we came to London. And yeah, obviously, like jungle, the, uh, going to see Theo Parish and stuff, getting yeah. all the deep house nights there was 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 really a, a completely different experience. Going to a club for twelve hours, going to see Villa Nova or Fabric. there was much longer afternoons where things were built up slowly. Yeah, you can play twelve minutes of the same track, yeah. and
2: only a hat needs to come in a night,
0: and it's yeah, like yeah. it's it's not the same. <laughs> Uh, I mean, is there a reason that you didn't go banging early?
2: I think, like, that's the whole. I think that's when we got into Talo Disco. I think you yeah. just you keep you flip flop at that age. You kind of we we were like blessed with all these techno acts, and we'd do that every weekend, and, and we were pretty much obsessed with it for like three years and then the techno scene started actually fo- it didn't, it wasn't as it went minimal by the time yeah, we yeah. got started producing
1: it was the end of the whole minimal techno thing and that was just we it made like electro class then. yeah electroclash then minimal, and minimal. And, yeah
2: and it's kind of, it wasn't really the like, energy just, was
1: gone for us yeah it felt
2: slow and it felt like you know it didn't, it, like the sounds weren't there so I'd even say the old techno was like that samply stuff it was a bit softer, a bit more like real drums um, sampled and also, and then that's when we fell in love with the telodisco which was the kind of the real polar opposite to hard techno. Yeah, <laughs> it's strange. We I remember talking about it at the time, and then
0: it's like, these are, "Why do you like both these <laughs> things?" And I, and I we kind of see them very similar. Yeah. So so that kind of set your tempo. Um. And and when when did you start? Um. Playing, you know, would actually touring, like going going further further afield and even playing abroad. I got, I got um Rory Hamlet sent me a message there yesterday um i think it was like uh
2: 12 years to the day that we went to china for the first time and it was like as bloggers going out to china to dj and i think that was our first kind of we can actually tour as on a blog but um yeah i think it took a real long time we had a couple of residencies in barcelona and I think we had gigs in Barcelona and New York and lots of places for them, but now we've got a gig in London for like three or four years.
0: <laughs> DJ in a top shop was about it. <laughs> okay. Um so 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 I mean your your skills were honed in front of a lot of very different audiences then.
1: Yeah. We were like regularly playing a lot of diff- very different sets, which was really fun because we had to kind of get used to playing. You know, complete like complete different sets, and yeah,
2: I mean, it was to be honest, we were playing so eclectic then. It was kind of almost cr- trying to recreate
1: Optimo with yeah, with even more extreme taste Yeah, I was, I was about to say like <laughs> Optimo was such a good inspiration because we saw do like we're like anything can go <laughs> flawlessly done there, and I think that was definitely an early inspiration.
0: It was one of these questions earlier. God, they're piling up.
1: <laughs> it's nice to see that. The one about the one? About, someone just said about Max Cooper. Just say he went to our school. Actually, I knew Max well. Good lad
0: excellent he he seems to have been going for some sort of kind of high drama and euphoric stuff actually it's a it's a <laughs> collaboration i could imagine it was someone was asking about about whether you feel pressured to do a particular sort of thing now i mean having having started with that very very eclectic background and taste in music um was there a point where you kind of a felt you were naturally slipping into your own sound, and B found that that was expected of you. I think there was a realization that like we can't keep trying to like recreate sounds, and
2: we realize that even if we can't do it perfectly or recreate it perfectly, then we realize that that's what makes our own sound. And once you kind of settle into that, you realize that you can just keep doing anything and, and you don't have to it doesn't have to be exactly like what you envisage to be like. Yeah. It's always when you strive for perfection. It's like you're always comparing that to someone else's perfection. And it's someone else has probably spent years crafting that and also done stuff in a very different way than you can't put you can't exactly recreate. So um we're just not having that pressure and just that's when we kind of know knew just whatever we can do goes really
1: yeah i mean like we we we, de- we have tracks that we were not, we're not happy with we all we have favorites with ones that we're not like there's there's Good tracks that sound like old tracks you know yeah. like we've got stuff
2: that it, it, is too close to like like trance or too close to like yeah breaks tracks or too close to like four tracks. you know what i mean everyone has it it's like you make tracks you try to use different synths and they might sound very similar to other people but we always kind of strive to kind of push it to the next stage. can we develop this in our own way yeah and it's it's
0: yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like I think it's just natural with production and experimenting as well. So it's maybe maybe less a matter of knowing your own sound than than knowing your lane a bit. Like
2: yeah, I think it's like it's easy to kind of say
0: your own song when we select
2: from 150, because that's the we kind of see that as like songs that kind of align and work. I mean, yeah. it's like even with, with this album, it's definitely like a progression from the first album in a sense that we knew that we had to Keep it in the same vein or come from a similar
1: place, but at the same time, we wanted to sound new, so it's yeah. definitely going to be some sort of link. I and mean, we we make a lot of music that doesn't sound like us, if if you know what I mean. Like we have days where we'll just make hard techno in the studio, and we do days of ambient, and we just 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 experiment, and also the cleanse a bit. Like we definitely have days of just sort of not, and but and 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 even sometimes we think they're good demos. And then, and then we let a few people hear, and they were like, yeah, no, nah, it's not. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it's definitely a thing of just sort of over time, you kind of maybe whittle it down a bit. But, I mean,
2: I feel it's, it's, I it's... I think it's, like, definitely a thing for us as well. We kind of try and keep um keep the ideas fresh, never try and dwell on tracks, try and never force them to make them work.
0: I think that's, that's where you run into problems, I think, in the studio. Yeah. I mean the, the same same question basically, but for DJing. I mean, did you was it was there a point where you were like, okay, we're we've been booked to be bicep rather than to play whatever we like? Was there a point where you kind of felt expectations on you as DJs? I think post um, Printworks show on online, I think we
2: definitely had a bit of people who turned turned up to see our shows expected what we played at Printworks. Yeah, than, and. The, the difference between a live show and a DJ show became um,
1: blurred almost? I, th- I think uh, we also love, like, like, we come from a background of a lot of hard techno and we love that. And we'd we been touring live for like two years and we did some DJ shows and we are on at like four in the morning. And it just seemed really logical at four in the morning. We'd like to hear like really slamming, banging techno. And then we'd play it and then we'd be all like, Leaving the club on the way home and they'd just be like hit on Twitter like didn't well, they're shy' it, nothing like but it works is way better and we're like oh. so there's definitely a, a kind of there's an expectation like, of kind of maybe our sign and I think i it's mean also it's
2: also the glue paradox we can't
1: like yeah. if we don't play glue
2: we'll get hit for it takes us it
1: takes a wee bit of time I mean we definitely i mean for sure we're gonna do other projects in our lives It by won't be the only project we ever do, and I think we always kind of it's good to know at the back of your mind if That you can always have other outlets you know like that's we we, and we do make other types of music sometimes just we don't release it but it kind of gives us a chance to and we collect a lot of music that we wouldn't dj do you know what i mean yeah gordon in the
0: chat is asking do you release music under aliases are there any secret Uh,
1: we did we released bdb on our label um and i don't appear (laughs) i don't think anyone got it and it was ben it was benjamin damage and Two people on the label, which is Benjamin Damage Bicep BDB. Mm. We played it in our print work show, but yeah, I don't think anybody got it. Yeah. But yeah, those two hard techno tracks last year with Benjamin Damage Ross.
2: <laughs> yeah. <I think>
0: so. <laughs> on that, on that, uh, people expected you to play that one track thing. I interviewed uh, Overmono recently and uh, Tesla. You know, I, I, obviously, the Class. You know, incredible producers and and. Um, you know when he when he made Hackney Parrot and it was played in every single scene and every single type of DJ yeah. was playing it. He said he had to learn to play it last because people were turning up literally yeah. to hear him play that track. Yeah, they didn't yeah. play it and they bugger off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and it was funny. They're good lads. They've been down in the studio once a while ago and they're great. Like we absolutely love their work yes it's like we, that's why we kind of have to play glue last as well it's like
0: chucking it in the middle of the set i don't know if we we'll get away with it. <laughs> a few people are asking um there's there's a glue edit that you play you've played in the live stream will that yeah. ever see the light of day is that going to get released oh uh, yeah
1: maybe but the thing is for, for us we like the whole point of the live versions a is to give people something different when they come to see us live and secondly if we're going to be playing something out for a couple of years we want to feel like it's fresh in our heads and something we can develop so we, uh, once we've toured it for quite a while once, once we get yeah, bored of it we'll yeah. <laughs> but like it's really um, for us it's like important it's, it's, to kind of have stuff that's a bit you know fresh I feel like once once the version's released it's kind of like glue's Clue, also a hard one because it's quite hard to deviate too hard from
2: the original and keep everyone happy so we're in the process of even developing that live yeah. version to kind of be super happy with it and also make it feel fresh rather mm-hmm. than just you know, like it's it's definitely we're slowly piecing together. Even yeah. at, even after playing it for a couple of years, we still
1: need to kind of refine it in a sort in a way. But yeah, we we would love to do like I think just definitely some sort of live album on the cards in a few in in, in a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you're not you're not planning to do an orbital
0: and start chucking bits of Bon Jovi into the middle of it. No,
1: no, no Doctor Who either, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What, what is your live setup like i mean uh, you know quite quite a few people have been asking and and you know obviously you're surrounded by old synths where you're sitting now you can't take all those on stage
1: uh sh101h like a, mon- a big mono synth each which is great we, it, try, we basically try and recreate this studio in the way it
2: runs mm-hmm. in this most simple form yeah mixing desk loads of guitar pedals yeah drum it, machine each like compressors eqs everything kind of recorded and wet yeah and but also we kind of want to have the bit like the main the main thing of the shows is being able to really rag the machines we know them inside out and we want to push them to the limits yeah without feeling like you just need to keep this for this song tight we want to be able to make it sound good everywhere so the compressors in hard desks is a little bit hot you know like we try and keep everything running as yeah. if like a band would and gel it together through the mix of yeah. the desk and it, it makes it way more fun it means that we can we do like live drumming over the top but it doesn't feel like it's mixed badly and it, to be honest it's taken so long to kind of even yeah. get to that point where we're happy like we have live side chains coming into the for, from the sh101 stuff for certain tracks and it's... that was the
1: scariest thing was because our, our first when we first started touring live it was just a load of parts coming out of ableton and then some dubbing some drums over the top and it was very basic and then we the big change was when we kind of had the guts to do live bass and live top lines so it was like the bass was completely you had to get your eq right your compression your side chain that all had to come you know from um, the guitar pedals and once we kind of got that that we just we've been able to build on top and top and we so can, we've also
2: made the like the coffins they are like a big mat. they're essentially big like guitar pedal cases they're yeah. just they're fixed and we've said we're going to restrict ourselves to what's within them yeah. and even like on my side I've got a couple I've got even type pedals and we've got it to the point now where my compressed um, space bar and load a full tune and every single thing from the presets to the bpm of the guitar pedals changes for every song so it's like you know like everything is on a space bar there's like 10 different movements the visual sync there's like, you know, like information's going to like ten different places at once. So it's it's got it's refined and complex, but like not too much that you can't just
0: uh, like play it live and feel like you if you touch one thing it's going to break. I, um, I, I was going to say, you know, that's that that must be some some kind of some bespoke setup because
1: yeah, it,
0: so it, many people from previous generations have gone the opposite direction from you because analog gear and pedals and stuff is so unstable.
1: It just doesn't sound as, I mean, it, there's I nothing the, better than it, it's, it's, it could like. The, the weak link of the setup is the computer. Yeah, the computer's <laughs> the only bad part, but we do, it took us, because we still play, like, for example, the pads on glue are like four, four like, it's like four synths that make up those pads together. There's no way we're going to have that live. So obviously, we have some recordings, like the glue pads. You know Opal's main melody that was done in a very specific sense. So it's like you, you, there's certain things that you don't recreate live. What we do is like things like the monos, the top lines, like the melodies, and the bass is is live. And then we have but even, characteristic parts that that aren't that are like recordings that we feed in. But the, the the only part that's ever in any trouble is is anything to do with the computers. Like I mean, if it's just like we've had every issue possible yeah, with the yeah, computers. Yeah. And even Mac, like you speak
2: to the obviously the geniuses, but. Um, the, like we've well, got friends who work in
1: in San Francisco for Mac, and they don't know what the issues are. So. I think it's like old. It's two th- 2012, 2015 was when Macs were good. They've got bad since. Yeah, so kinda, it's
2: like when they, when they break on stage, it's like there's not there's no feeling like it.
1: We had a, <laughs> we had a year, a first year turn live. I mean, it was every week something went wrong, but we had a real big issue with them. Um, um, we had a Mac stage, and it was just the information it was sending was just was just cutting out and remember glue the pads just disappeared everything else in the track stayed and we had all the drum machines go on and the pads just disappeared and we just had to fizzle the track out and start a new one and it was just like oh god and also it was like on the screen it was saying it was playing
2: so there's green green lights everywhere but there's no sound and it's just these kind of issues
0: are more frustrating and uh, they're not tangible at all that's a that's a trial by fire i mean you know that that is definitely character forming
1: right oh here like yeah there was a stage where i was like there there isn't actually anything else that can go wrong we had a lot of we had a lot of a lot of hiccups
2: the first year but like we i see even the question switch the circle on it's like we've looked at all these different analog options but yet at the same time as you can't do stuff like you can't change time signatures you can't change that you can't send midi information to like for pedals and
1: changing presets and things like that it's like Ableton's great for that, especially, again, like sending, sending information to the tie pedals and, and little bits like that. Also, you know, it, it, like an example is the BDB stuff, that techno um, track of Benjamin Damage. We only recorded parts in the studio, um, and we never made, we never got around to making the track as a track. It was just a jam recorded into a little loops, and we just bounced the loops, and then on stage with the USB, plugged it in, knocked some of the loops into the laptop, and then drummed in midi and performed it for two months before we had ever laid it out so we actually made the track let's like actually live and that's something that we just did not thinking about it on stage like before showing dublin we we're like right let's bang all this info in let's let's try this track at the end of the set and then it was like oh shit, this, this, let's watch, finish this watching
2: videos of it performed and trying to yeah. recreate it in the studio the but,
1: layout <laughs> you mean that would be a real process of a few days to do with a circle or something was Ableton, you know that was done in soundcheck you know bang it in and I think it's also it's, very visual as well. Ableton's a lot of freedom to move very quickly, so it gives you a lot of creativity.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was, there was a sense. There was, um, you know, a, a lot of old heads, I think, um, had the idea that where, when Ableton Live came in, it, it, it squared things off and it made things a bit predictable and it wasn't the same as analogue. But, um,
1: you know, That's clearly, you, 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 you keep awesome. it lively. We we, we we only send like we'd only we, we originally were sending CV and gate to the model since we've now got the MIDI converted but we just send out clips of MIDI to all the machines so we, we make them you know we perform them live but we have you know the notes pre-recorded and that just gives you it's just a really easy way of kind of using the best of both worlds do you know what I mean yeah I, mean, I think it's like
2: the we took an 808 on on tour with us for two years and by the end it was like yeah. a granny it didn't want to get it It didn't want to turn up when it was four o'clock in the morning sweaty in a club it wouldn't turn
1: on Yeah, and then you'd take it back to the hotel room when it was ready go to bed it was fine I think parano- I think it's Paranoid London I think so don't quote me on this I think it was a Paranoid London guys um, something happened when we were playing together in Stockholm or or I think it was Stockholm and uh, all presets on their three what yeah, was it was Paranoid? It was. yeah or they 303 so you with a 303 or an 808 you store the presets inside and the, it re- re- requires an internal battery on top of being powered the internal battery stores the presets battery went lost everything before the show and that's it you're, you're finished having to sit in a hotel with a manual of notes written out trying to plug them in like that's why something you know like a 808, we just have our our, all our MIDI stored on a dropbox folder and if our computer dies we just get a new computer quickly and you know it, i think it's important to kind of use the best of the modern world with the old world you know i remember reading actually
2: in peter hook's book that he talks about having to program the dmx drum machine for new order shows and because nobody else in the band knew how to do it and the engineer wasn't there and it'd take him like three days and then some days that will wipe and you'd be like you know what I mean yeah. it's it's those those things that people
0: look back nostalgically at like how easy it was then but it wasn't that easy yeah <laughs> i I can remember going to you know early 90s shows and um you know I was talking to Mixmaster morris about this recently cuz um he's been digging out some of his old live stuff and the the seeing people clearly off their tits Pulling their hair out as they swap discs in and out of that, <laughs> and like try and like put a hairdryer to the analog synth to get it <laughs> to stop it going out of tune and stuff. You know, it's it's oh. um, it's a miracle any live shows ever happened yeah,
1: tunes actually we, we had um we moved it to sh101s but we used to have an sh09 was it u9 yeah, yeah yeah sh 9 which is like this it's the 70s isn't it yeah it's, it's a dis- discrete circuitry
2: so it doesn't have any chips really in it it has a couple but it's like it's very much like as analog as you very early
1: like synth and and used to use that for um the top lines for like Justin stuff and it honestly depending on the temperature of the country you're playing you had like the tuning would just go like seeing hot climates it would jump up three semitones and we'd have to send out a c to get an a like it was ridiculous how how temperamental it was but um that's also a plus for ableton you can do that in sound check yeah you just (laughs) just
0: (laughs) pitching all the midi in one go for the whole show yeah right uh, we we uh we are filling up our time fast um before we get fully into sound on sound territory um
1: <laughs> sorry can I, ask
0: you, can I ask you about how how the how you have kind of witnessed the music scene globally because you know you said you were playing internationally from before you were playing in the uk almost and so you've seen things develop and you've seen attitudes to techno and the the rise of uh the the B word, um, the the business techno, yeah, um, and and things are so different now. Things, are, yeah, you know, EDM has kind of like almost we hope peaked, and
1: then you know we yeah. I mean it's it's kind of one of those things. I think I think everything and I mean it's things have probably always been polarized. And split but like for sure like i mean it seems that everything nowadays everything's kind of split in two and definitely i mean even through how people how people within the industry have reacted to the pandemic you know the play graves some people are in it for the ego and the money and other people are in it for the art the people have been able to kind of pull themselves away and just go and 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 burrow away and work on it have done so and there's others who have felt the need to stay in the limelight at whatever cost and i think it's definitely without a doubt, there's now, it's, it feels very split. It's hard to really, we, I mean, we can really only comment on, on the time we've really spent in the industry. We couldn't really comment before. You know, when we were younger, even our first start touring, it was very, we we're playing very small shows. It's very hard to have a grasp of, you know, the bigger picture. Um, yeah. But, I mean, for sure, it's, it feels
2: like the industry's kind of split in half. I think, like, the common thing is, is, like, there's always, com- like, clubs and countries, that you wouldn't expect and people are in it for the love and these are the ones i'm fearing for the most the little small yeah. ones that really like would take us across to like zurich or paris for and we'd you know like basically sleep on someone's floor and then come back it's like these kind of gigs are what were quintessential to us growing as artists and also as djs it was like yeah. these were the most fun times um when the money wasn't really in it and i fear now with all the kind of restrictions and stuff i'm gonna lose that whole
1: bottom line basically my my greatest fear is with uh with the visa restrictions now imposed in the UK and the EU that um yes people who chase the money or who have the money will will be able to survive but it's those who don't um or making people have to think about money first and not think about the art is going to dramatically i i think could dramatically change things especially in the UK obviously because that's where um, the restrictions being, are, and I think it's, it's 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 very worrying as to how things could change like, in the well, future. It's because we have to like consider these things, even when we tour America. and
2: We have had to do it for years, like paying for a visa, and the cost of that alone for America was always a massive issue in terms of how many gigs you need to do to kind of break even, to even you know like survive over there for yeah. the weeks. Like there was one time we had to do 28 gigs in 21 days, I think in uh in like a, a like during south by southwest and that kind of era in like a i remember a march time tour and it was we came back and had made like 300 pounds or something and it's just like sometimes it's like these kind of things if people want to use it as a or have it as a career it's like i don't think you could do these sort of things as on a whim like that again
0: no totally i mean i i guess um the you know the flip side is and what we have to really really hope for is that um the passion that has been kind of condensed and 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 held back and and put into things like communities around live streams and fan communities and all of that and people who are like absolutely gagging to get back out there will be released and be channeled towards um
1: you know rebuilding that infrastructure on a on a grassroots level and that's that's that that's, that's the kind of scorched earth thing of like we were in a very tough period now like double whammy of of the pandemic and Brexit certainly in the UK mm-hmm. and uh, yeah you just hope that yeah there's that like condent like things are condensed and yeah. hopefully there's a renewed renewed underground. Well, without wanting to be cheesy, um,
0: you guys have made the perfect album to soundtrack getting back out there
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is honestly i mean it works for home listening and i've i've lied i've laid in the dark listening to it and it's taken me back to chill out rooms of the past and you know awesome. dreaming Thank of flying through the sky and whatever but you know i cannot imagine the scenes that these tracks are going to provoke it's big it's a, it's yeah, it's a very good and Welcome. it is full of that like very genuine you know, not not cynical in the way of of commercial trance records, but that very genuine kind of high flying euphoria. So so I think it should uh, should it should drive some people to get those parties going again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thank, you. thank you so much. Oh man, thanks. It's been brilliant. Um, we have run out of time. Sorry to everyone whose questions we didn't get to. I'm glad I managed to squeeze a few in there, but. Um, Rough Trade, Ninja Tune, thank you so much
1: for having us. Thank you so much. Cheers to everyone that tuned in as well. Take care. Looking forward to seeing seeing some of yous or all of (laughs) yous whenever possible.